Hey again, travel bosses. I'm excited to bring you this week's sponsor, TripStreak, the smarter travel search. What I love about TripStreak is the ability to set your personal preferences to either have or avoid red-eye flights or have things like completely lie flat seats. So the next time you need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. All right. Hey, everyone. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 170 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Amy Butler from thewayfarersbook.com. Hey, guys. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So we are in Kiev, Ukraine. Yes, we are. (laughs) And I'm excited to to talk to you because you are one of the few kind of female bloggers that had popped up uh, that have ever written about Ukraine or maybe even have ever been here. Not the first, but definitely proud to be one of the few who have discovered Ukraine, even though it's definitely becoming more popular. I've noticed over the past even three or four months, a lot more blog posts about how cool Ukraine is. Yeah. And actually, I think compared to my trip to Ukraine last year, it is so much more touristy this year. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was a big, it was a noticeable difference because last year was zero tourism. Yeah. Yeah, I was here in the spring last year and, and I definitely feel a difference too. And I walk down the street and whenever I hear English, I turn around because I wonder if it's one of my friends, but it's not. So I definitely increase in visitors, which is very exciting. For yeah. The country. I actually remember taking off my earbuds just the other day while walking and just looking behind me because I heard someone speaking English and it was so uncommon. Yeah. So that's cool. So let's, let's rewind. How did you? get here? What is your story? Well, so I'm an English teacher and I got certified to teach English in order to travel the world. But my first teaching job was actually in New York. So I spent two years teaching there before I quit in 2015 to start traveling. Ukraine was not my first destination. I actually ended up spending three months in Singapore first and sort of traveling around that area. And what do you think about living in Singapore? Singapore is a interesting place. It's a very modern, very efficient. And I was a little bit bored sometimes, maybe because I wasn't rich enough to live there. <laughs> so it's pretty much the opposite of Ukraine. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the only thing they have in common is the efficiency of the metro systems. <laughs> you know, the metros here are surprisingly good. Yeah. I, you know, I went home to New York for Christmas and I was shocked by how dirty our subway is and having to wait more than five minutes for the train. Yeah, here, like, I, I feel like I never have to wait for it. No, it's nice. I and like- it's only five grivna, which is 20% more than it was just a few weeks ago. Well, this is the thing. You know, you're a local in a place when you get angry about transit price hikes. It was four grivna when I first got here and now it's five. And I know it's a difference of about three cents, but I'm still very upset about the increase in the subway <laughs> cost. Well, just to put that in perspective, how much, how much is that? So five grivna is, like less, less like twenty cents. Yeah, it's right now it's twenty five given to the dollar. So, and how much is a subway ride in New York? Two fifty, two seventy five. So you can literally ride it eleven times here for the price of one ride in New York. And that's why I live in Ukraine and yeah. not in New York. <laughs> and one thing that actually really annoyed me about New York was every weekend it seemed like one of the trains was down for maintenance and. It was like, it was just annoying because then you would have to transfer two or three times or you have to spend yeah. a lot of money on a cab or an Uber. And what really pissed me off wasn't the fact that they would maintain the trains was when I found out, and you know, this could be a rumor, but I actually think this might be true is one of the locals that lived in New York said, laughed and he said, you really think that they're maintaining and like in air quotes, these trains every weekend, they're not, they're just shutting down certain lines over the weekend to save money. Don't tell me that. I don't think that's true. I want to believe in the integrity of the MTA. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, how, like, and if you think about it, like, when I really thought about it, I was like, how is that possible that every single weekend there's a different train that happens to be broken or, and it's always a different train. It's never the same train twice. Man, I feel like as a native New Yorker, my life has just been changed. I'm never going to trust the MTA again. (laughs) 
So I was in Berlin before this, and each ride was, I think, I think it was two euro twenty or three euro twenty. It was a lot, and it was a pain because you could only pay for trips with cash, and most of the time, you know, like you're not always going to have exactly you know two euro twenty and change. So you'll buy like a ten pass or seven pass, which makes sense. But even then, you could only pay cash for it and only coins. Man. It's too complicated. I was in Berlin for eight hours, a long layover, and I tried to use the, the metro. I don't also like validating your ticket. I buy a ticket. Why do I also have to do the second step of validating it? I just, it's too confusing for me. Yeah. So as many downsides as there are in Ukraine, I'm sure we'll get into some. Yeah, probably. <laughs> there are definitely upsides of living here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say the biggest downside is of living here? I would say the biggest downside, which is also one of the things I like about it, is as we were saying, the few tourists and like the small expat community. I was just talking to some of my students today about how I appreciate how under the radar Ukraine is and how I'm very excited to tell people about it, but I don't want everyone coming to visit at once because I like how little I hear English and I like how it's a novelty when people meet me and and ask me questions about where I'm from and what I think of Ukraine but it does mean it's harder to meet people it's harder to have a support system the expat community here is small and it changed there's a high turnover rate I've had a lot of friends over the winter who were here for just like one year, either because they had a one-year contract or they were part of some sort of government program for a year. And so in the spring, there was just a steady string of goodbye parties, which gets pretty sad after a while. And you end up drinking a lot. So it's not good for your liver either. I can definitely see that. And I agree that it's a nice, it's like a nice kind of novelty factor of having, you know, the people I do meet say, where are you from? Why are you here? And really just being genuinely curious about my life, what it's like growing up in the US, you know, what I think of the Ukraine. And I feel like if it, if there was more tourism here, that would happen less and less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually yesterday went to get photos to renew my work visa here. And the guy who took my photos for me, like passport size photos, he didn't speak English and I don't really speak Russian or I don't speak any Ukrainian. But we were communicating and I managed to understand he wanted to know how much these photos would cost in the States. And they cost me like $2 here. And I was like, oh, in the States, getting passport photos, six passport photos, $12, do you think? Yeah, I think at least that. It's kind of a pain pain in the butt as well. Yeah, yeah. And he just, it blew his mind. He did the conversion to the local currency and it blew his mind that it would cost six times more in New York to get passport photos than it did here. And well, hopefully he doesn't raise his price now by six times. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I felt a little bit bad when I told him. <laughs> so... It is cool to have those conversations and those interactions and talking to taxi cab drivers about where you're from and things like that is a really cool experience. Yeah, I think it's a great novelty factor. And I guess anyone who's listening to this, especially if you're not listening live, and if you're listening, you know, in 2018 or something, when Kiev or Ukraine is a little bit more touristy already, just think of it as a, a kind of a blueprint where you can find your own random country mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't have that many tourists yet, like Moldova, or I'm sure a lot of other places in Eastern Europe, and just be one of the first to, be, to go. Yeah. And, and what I love about Kiev is that even while it's still like undiscovered, like the cafe scene and the food scene and the drinking scene is so developed. Even though it's undiscovered by tourists, there's such a great vibrant scene here that I'm never bored. It's not undiscovered because there's something to do here. There's lots to do here. It's just that people have no idea. Yeah, it's it's that. I think the reputation, you know, where people still, my, my friends back home, when I post on Facebook and then say I'm in Ukraine, they, they're still shocked. They're like, isn't it dangerous? Mm-hmm. They have internet. Yeah. And I think it's these things that prevent people from, from coming. But I think the, the one real realistic thing, I, I think everything else that they actually mention are not actual deterrents to come here. I mean, you know, sure there is war happening with Russia, but it does not affect us at all here in capital, the capital city of Ukraine. Maybe if we were on the border or if we were in Crimea, it would definitely affect us. But here, I don't notice it at all. I, I'm, I'm assuming you don't notice it. Yeah, it doesn't reach here at all. I mean, every couple of months there'll be a political assassination, to be honest. But 
it doesn't affect the normal person. Just don't get involved in politics here and you'll be fine. Yeah, or anywhere in the world. <laughs> <Yeah> . So all these little concerns are not, not really a, a big deal. But the one that is a big deal that kind of gets underplayed is you really need to speak Russian in, in Kiev. You can get, like, I've been getting by with English, but I'm not having, I'm not being able, I'm not immersed in the culture. And more times than not, I'm using Google Translate on my phone just to buy like soda water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The transition to like being immersed in a Cyrillic language was a little bit difficult for me. It got easier once I could sound words out because there are some, some matches once you can sound the word out. But like also I don't, I don't speak Ukrainian or Russian and I know that that has created a barrier for me with the culture. And it's even more noticeable when you get outside of Kiev. Like I've traveled in Western Ukraine. I'm going to be traveling in Eastern Ukraine, um, next month. And it's, it's definitely doable and it's definitely like a little bit of an adventure, but you have to be willing to one, make fun of yourself if you have to mime something weird to have patience in that communication and three, just realize that you're going to have sort of a, a buffer between you and, and the rest of the people because of the language barrier. I remember my first couple days in Ukraine, especially because I was traveling by myself. My, my buddy Chris, who's now here, wasn't, didn't arrive yet. I legitimately felt alone and a little bit, I don't know what the word is. Now, I wasn't scared, but it felt, I felt, you know, really alone and helpless because I walked around and I, it was even kind of hard for me to find a restaurant, even though I can clearly see, okay, that's probably a restaurant, but the signs, you know, even for the restaurant names were completely in Cyrillic. And the menus often were completely in Cyrillic. It's different here in Kiev where it's a bigger city and they usually have a, an English menu and most places, but some places still don't have it. So, you know, and even like, and especially just like the restaurant name, if you're across the street and you look at the, a building, sometimes you can't even tell if it's a restaurant because it's, you know, unless you kind of figure out, you know, how, like the word for a restaurant in Cyrillic. Which looks like pectopath. Yes. <laughs> but I'm sure it just, it just, it just says restaurant. <laughs> yeah. It says restaurant. Yeah. Though I don't think people, we shouldn't scare people from coming here. <laughs> it definitely is a little bit of an adventure, but younger generations speak a lot of English. They also downplay how much they speak English. And I was in the bus station recently and I would, I had a question and I walked up to somebody and I was like, Oh, do you speak English? And they're like, Oh no. And then they would talk to me and, very like solid English. And I was like, you're fine. You can answer those questions. Please help my poor lost self. Yeah. I think if they can say just a little bit, that means they can. They're just downplaying it or yeah. they're shy. Yeah. But there are plenty of people, especially anyone over, I'll say 35. Like if they, if you say, do you speak English and they just say niet, they, they usually mean they, they really can't. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten really good at the Russian sentence for, I only speak English. Oh, good. Yeah. I say it about six times a day, at least. And I get two reactions. One is the person looks at me and says, Oh, no. <laughs> Which is a funny reaction when my sentence says, I only speak English. And they go, oh, no. <laughs> or they laugh and they tell me how good my Russian is. <laughs> and I was like, no, really, that's the only thing I can I can say. But they tell you that in English or in Russian? It it depends. I can understand the word for good in both Russian and English. Oh, so. <laughs> class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but people here are also really, really helpful and really friendly. So even if they don't speak the language, for the most part, they'll try and help you. I was taking a train from one Western city to another, and it left at four in the morning. And I went to the train station, and I had my ticket printed out, and I was waiting, and I wanted to make sure I had the right platform. So I went and I asked the information lady, who didn't speak English, and... At first, she like held up her hands as an X, and I thought she meant I was at the wrong station, which made me panic. But then through a series of like notes in sign language, I realized the train was just late. And so I was like, oh, okay. So she said it was going to be late 20 minutes. And so I was hanging out, walking around, and then it came like five minutes later. And she came to find me because she wanted to make sure I got on the train okay, which I thought was really, really sweet and really helpful. Yeah, that's nice. That would yeah. never happen in New York. No, <laughs> probably not. So one of the things I admire most about you is how much you travel to other smaller towns or villages in Ukraine, knowing how difficult it's going to be to communicate. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's really important. Ukraine is the 
biggest country in Europe, and there's so much to see here. When I first moved here, I thought I was going to be going to Poland for the weekend and Budapest and all this stuff. But one, that takes more time and money than I expected because Ukraine's so big. And two, there's just so much to see here. And Kiev is amazing. I love living in Kiev. It's definitely different from the rest of Ukraine, though. And I think it's very important to go out there and experience all these different sort of smaller cities or rural life or nature, if you can. Yeah, I like that as well. And I think that is definitely on my my to-do list. But honestly, I'm not super comfortable hopping on a train, especially at four in the morning, to some little village where I know that for a fact most people are not going to speak English. And that's my fault for not speaking Russian or Ukrainian. So I'm actually slowly learning it now. I've been listening to another podcast called Russian Made Easy, which is good. And there's an app. At first, I tried Duolingo, but it's it sucked. <laughs> For Russian, at least. And there's an app called Memrise. I don't know if you've seen oh, it. I haven't seen it. They make learning Russian to like a kind of a game. And I was like, okay, I, I can do this. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I was learning, I was taking classes for a little while, but I, teachers make the worst students. We do not do our homework. We like show up late to class. So I kind of realized I wasn't making the most of my lessons and I stopped. And I thought I was going to be leaving Ukraine at the end of the summer. So I lost a lot of motivation, but I decided to stay for four more months until Christmas. So I'm thinking I should maybe brush up on my Russian skills a little bit. Nice. Do you think you're going to be coming back next year or you're going to explore a different part of the world? Oh gosh. I don't, I don't know. It's too far ahead to plan. Okay. <laughs> I admire that. Yeah. I admire that. So the other reason why I wanted to have you on is most of the expats I met in Ukraine or like the travelers are guys. And maybe just because I'm meeting like a bunch of digital nomad guys or IT guys, but I think it's really cool that you are a American female traveler living in Ukraine. Yeah. A lot of the people who come to Ukraine are either um, guys or they're couples. And I actually first came here with my boyfriend at the time. Uh, he had three three months of work offered. So he was like, oh, let's go. He'd been to Ukraine before. He liked it. And I was like, okay, sure. So after we were in Singapore for three months, we came to Ukraine. And uh, we were here for three months and I loved it so much that at the end, I had to leave the country because my my tourist visa was up and I had plans to travel over the summer. But at the end, I talked to my boss and I said, can I come back and can I stay for a year? And so September of last year, I moved back. I got an apartment, signed a contract and actually settled down for a little while. Okay. I like it. So I'm curious, like from your perspective, like how safe is Kiev versus like New York? Kiev is probably safer than New York, I would say, because they don't let Ukrainians carry guns. <laughs> the problems with Kiev, I feel like, is more like getting scammed and pickpocketing than it is violent crime. So I feel totally comfortable walking around my neighborhood at night, walking around other various neighborhoods in the city center, totally fine. When I go to new neighborhoods in the outskirts of the city, I tend not to go at night. Ubers are super cheap here. You can get anywhere in the city for four bucks or less. So I can always call an Uber. And the only real stories I've heard of crime have been scams and like pickpocketing. And it seems to happen to my one friend over and over again. So it might just be him. <laughs> Maybe he has bad luck. He might have bad luck. What type of scams uh, have you heard of? The one that he experienced was there was somebody walking in front of him and a bunch of money fell out of this guy's pocket. And my friend picked it up and gave it back to him. And then the scammer accused him of, of stealing. So this this undercover police officer suddenly appeared out of nowhere to mediate the situation. And in the ensuing chaos, when my friend was, I guess, showing his wallet to show that he didn't steal it, they managed to lift some money out of his wallet. And so after the whole thing was over, he realized he was short like 40 bucks, basically. That's a pretty smart scam, actually. It is. It is. And I, I've heard of it in other places as well. So my advice to people when they, when they ask about like safety here is like, just be smart. You know, if, if you feel like someone is maybe scamming you, just don't talk to them or touch them and walk away, you know, like pay attention to where your bags are, where your, your zippers are. On the other hand, I realized the other day I was in the center of the city and I had been walking around with my backpack open for like four or five minutes and my wallet was just right on top of, like right there visible and no one stole it. So 
you know, like that's a, a good reflection on the city as well. Okay, that's nice. Yeah. So I- I've also heard about like pickpockets. Yeah. I heard most of them hang out on the metros. Yeah, the marshutkas, which I don't think tourists would ride anyway. So. Yeah. So I think that happens just because it's a crowded place. Yeah. And it's just kind of easy. But I just came from Barcelona, where it's like the pickpocket capital of the world. Mm-hmm. And here, I feel like the, the crime rates are super low compared to even just other big cities. I would say Kiev is a big city, so there's going to be some crime. But I don't feel unsafe at all walking around. It's actually funny because most of the Airbnbs I've stayed in are in – like it's in the center – and the actual Airbnb is nice, and during the day it's nice, but the hallways to get from like the courtyard into the Airbnb are like dark and sketchy. And I personally felt scared just walking through this courtyard, which was like half a block from like the main street, just because it was completely black at night. And I'm like, oh my god, if someone wanted to rob me, they could. But nothing ever happened. Yeah, I feel very safe here. Like any big city, use your street smarts. And I agree with you. The interior, like the hallways of any building are going to look pretty crummy. And I think that's actually a holdover of Soviet mentality is that people take really good care of what's theirs, but what's communal is sometimes lost and they don't know who's responsible or nobody wants to be responsible for it or they can't manage the funds to keep it nice so sometimes communal areas are not in good repair but that doesn't mean that it's not safe it's just poor sometimes okay that definitely makes sense and i like how how you mentioned you just have to be a bit street smart and i think that applies to to any any city yeah and i actually have a theory on why there aren't like actual robbings or like jackings like because in new york and in san francisco and in la it's like, it's pretty possible just to be walking down the street and have somebody come up and physically rob you. But here I feel like it never happens. And I think it's because the average Ukrainian guy or even girl is like, they're pretty tough. Yeah. And I remember like buying a, a cider somewhere. It was like a apple, like apple cider that had a, like a, a, like a beer top. And I asked the cashier if they could open it and she said no, but some random guy there just happened to be there just like, a, you know, just looks like a normal guy, pulls out this like eight inch knife from his jacket and opens the, the bottle <laughs> for me and just puts, you know, with no sheath or anything, he just puts it back into his pocket. And I'm just thinking, this is why people don't rob each other because the, like, if you accidentally rob this dude, he would just cut, he would just, he would kill he you. Would. But on the flip side too, he's so helpful. He saw that you needed help and <laughs> he's yeah. happy to oblige. <laughs> that is very true. Knives aren't just for protection. They're also for opening strangers' apple cider bottles for them. <laughs> I like it. So how is it how, – like, how, like, so, you know, we've talked about the, the dangers and the crimes. How is just like normal life being na- a now single American girl living in Ukraine? I love my life in Ukraine, which is why I decided to stay here a couple of months longer. Quality of life here is so much better than quality of life in New York. Even though I'm not making as much as I did in New York, things are so much cheaper. Like my apartment, which is a one-room apartment, it's got a separate kitchen, but it's one one room. It's like $310 a month. Nice area. I was paying $600 a month in New York for a windowless room. I can go get my avocado toast for brunch for like less than $10 with, with coffee, with tip, with everything. Like life is just so affordable here if you're an expat, which makes it really, really comfortable. I like that. So I think for as far as like costs of living here, I, I kept saying to my friend before he came, I said, don't expect it as I expect some things to be like outrageously cheap, like riding the subway. It's like, you know, 5% of the price. Or Uber is much cheaper. It's like, it's like 90% off. Things like data. I'm paying two or three dollars a month for six gigs of data, which you would never get back home. You would end up paying like 40 to 80 dollars for that. So there are some things that are like outrageously cheap. You're like, wow, this, everything's like free. And then I warranted him. I was like, some things are cheaper, but they're like half the price of back home. So things like rent and in your case was, was, you know, it's perfect. You're paying 300 something now for something that would be a little bit more than double back home. Same as us. We're living in the city center. We're paying... I think we actually finally found a good deal, but we're paying about $800 for 
a two room apartment. So we each have our own room. And I think back home, something equivalent would be like, would be double, you know, but food and food is much cheaper. Uh, like nice restaurants, you go out, you know, you can eat all the time, but it's not like, it's not free. It's not like super cheap. It's just like, you know, let's say 30 to 50% off on average. Yeah. I equate Ukraine to Southeast Asia prices and people don't believe me. But it, it it really is like that for most things, Southeast Asia prices. And I was recently preparing a post for my blog about just general travel tips for Ukraine. And I was trying to think of budget travel tips. And I was like, I don't actually know how to make Ukraine cheaper than it already is. I can advise you to take the metro instead of, the, instead of an Uber. So you're paying 20 cents instead of $2. So you can save a dollar and a half, which is... It adds up over time, but Ukraine is such a cheap destination. It's, it's mind blowing sometimes, but rent and accommodation is the one thing that is more expensive. Yeah. So I think it, it's mainly because it's hard to find monthly rentals that speak English. Yeah. I think it's that too. Cause when I say rent is more expensive, I don't mean more expensive than the States. I mean, just more expensive than I expected. And I think what you're doing is you're, you're paying for, Someone who can speak English. Yeah. And someone who's willing to list it on Airbnb and, and do a monthly rental. I think there's actually a huge opportunity for a local Ukrainian to arbitrage Airbnb by renting a bunch of apartments and then listing them month to month on Airbnb. Yeah. I was at one point looking at for an Airbnb towards the end of my first stay here and I was finding that I could get a room in somebody's apartment for about $10 a night, which I thought was pretty good. You can find about the same for hostels, like dorms, hostels. Apartments could be cheaper if someone can figure out how to undercut the the system a little bit. Yeah, because right now, when, when when I came, and I think it was, part of it was just looking kind of too last minute, so not everything was available. Yeah. But on average, for a like one-bedroom, living room, kitchen, one-bath apartment, would which here they call a two room apartment, even though it's only one bedroom. Yeah. They, they, they count the living room as a room for whatever reason. But that in the city center for per month was about a thousand dollars, which is still cheaper than it is back home. But it's compared to the cost of living here compared to the salaries here. It's outrageous. It's expensive. Yeah. You're paying tourist tax on that one. <laughs> Definitely. You're paying tourist tax. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was hard. Like for us to find the place we're in now, which I think is a great deal. It was really difficult. Like, and it wasn't on Airbnb. We had to basically go through Google translate and it oh, was, nice. yeah. And so it's possible, but it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, I pulled up your site, the wayfarersbook.com. And the, the way I actually found you was I was looking for things to do in Kiev. Yes. And your site was like one of the only things that popped up. <laughs> well, I, I do try and do my research, especially when it comes to food and drinks. I'm researching very hard a comprehensive post on the food and drink scene here in Kiev. So one of my favorite things about Kiev is how many speakeasies they have. I love the cocktails here. That's part of why I decided to stay. The cocktail scene is amazing. Have you been to Murmur? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to tell you about Murmur. It's one of my new finds. It's a rooftop and excellent cocktails. There's actually a big cocktail show coming up at the end of October. Oh yeah? Yeah. Okay. I went last year and it's a lot of fun. They have cocktail bars from all over the country, even a couple of other international ones come to this cocktail show and you can get a card and like just walk around the cock- the show floor and buy cocktails from these different places. Oh, that's cool. It's so cool. Unfortunately, the end of October also comes the winter. That's true. Winter can be rough here. Not just because it's cold. It's not that snowy, actually. It snows a lot, but it doesn't stick. The biggest problem is the ice on the streets. And I actually slipped and fell and had my first Ukrainian hospital visit this past winter. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> it, it was definitely an experience. Luckily, my boss was there to translate for me most of the time. And the doctor had excellent bedside manner, but I had to end up wearing a, I didn't break my bone, but I had to wear a cast for about two weeks. And I learned there are a lot of things that are very hard to do one-handed, including my hair. <laughs> <laughs> so how was the like hospital 
care, the medical care in, in Kiev or in Ukraine? Yeah, I actually I ended up going to a clinic, not a hospital, because it wasn't an emergency situation. But we went to a private clinic and the doctor had excellent bedside manner. Uh, he was always checking to make sure, even though he couldn't speak English, he was always checking to make sure he wasn't hurting me, that things were okay. They saw us pretty quickly, even though it was a last minute appointment. And I was overall very satisfied with my experience with the Ukrainian medical system, but I did go to a private clinic and not a public one. And did you pay out of pocket or with insurance? Uh, with insurance. I have insurance offered from my, my uh, company. Okay. So um, one of the, my favorite things about living in Thailand or in Southeast Asia, well, actually mainly Thailand, was how good and affordable their healthcare was, even without insurance. And I think I haven't had insurance since I was like 22 or something when my parents, their their insurance stopped. And that's always been a big concern for me because if I'm in the US, something happens, I'm screwed. So that's actually a huge reason why I spent so much time out of the US. And in Thailand, I never bothered to get insurance because... I can just go to the emergency room and pay like a hundred bucks a day to to live in the ER overnight. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably pretty similar here. I've had some conversations with students about the healthcare system, and I think even if you pay out of pocket, it's still very affordable compared to U.S. standards. Okay, I like that. So one curious question is: What is the dating scene like for you or for for expat women out here? Well, it's, there's an untapped market out here <laughs> for the, the other American women I know, the other expat women I know, and I uh, do not have it easy, to be honest. It's hard to meet people. The ones who speak Russian or Ukrainian definitely have more options. So that's probably holding me back, but it's hard to meet people. It's hard to meet people who speak English and haven't had a lot of luck with the dating scene. I haven't tried very hard, to be honest. I went out with an American guy for a little while. I met a nice Ukrainian guy who lives in Germany, of course. So that only lasted for about the six days he was here. I have been on Tinder here and met a very nice Norwegian guy. I went out with for a couple of weeks. But in the end, I deleted Tinder because multiple reasons, but because there just weren't a lot of people on there who um, I connected with most because of language issues barriers okay yeah so i think as a guy that the language issue is the biggest thing here too yeah i think i, I think a lot of people will just you know let that kind of like pass by where they're like oh yeah okay i'll, I'll learn the language but you really have to learn the language if you yeah. want to actually have a conversation with someone yeah but i do think that more ukrainian women know english than ukrainian men I th you think so oh. i would have to say as a teacher and someone who's lived here that the men tend to study english until like they're to like intermediate upper intermediate level and i feel like the women are much more motivated to learn it to fluency okay yeah i can definitely see that mm -hmm. and so i've been going to a couple like English conversation clubs, mm -hmm. mainly just to meet local Ukrainian people that happen to speak English. And they're happy to have me there because I, I speak, I don't, I don't know, not native American English, but I, I, I speak American English natively <laughs> and it's good for them to practice. And you know, it's fun because then that's how I get like tips on like how to live like a local apartment tips, how to, you know, things like that. And I would say at least at the clubs, it's, it's 50 50. Like it's, you know, but who knows? Maybe that's just the ones I've been to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely, the, the language barrier is hard here. And when it comes to dating, it makes it pretty difficult. And I've found that a lot of expat men are not interested in dating expat women so much. Oh, what do you think that is? Well, I don't, I don't know, but let's just say most of the expat men I've known have dated Ukrainian girls. And that could be just because there's, there's more single Ukrainian girls. Like I said before, there's not a lot of single expat women here that I know. Expat women often come with a partner. So the pickings are small for them too. There's not a lot of us <laughs> expat women. Okay. I can definitely see that. Yeah. I know that when I was in Asia, like Vietnam, Thailand, pretty much everywhere, most, the biggest complaint for the expat women was that, like, that all the expat guys wanted to only date Vietnamese girls or Thai girls. Uh, so that's actually how the kind of nomad scene and the English teaching scene kind of started mingling together, where at least in the beginning, now there's a lot more female nomads, but three years ago, 
most digital nomads were guys. Mm-hmm. And like, we were going to meet up and just be all, all dudes. But for the female English teachers, they would complain that all the male English teachers only wanted to date like local Thai girls or local Vietnamese girls. So that was actually like the perfect balance where meetups started to be <laughs> mostly like 50 50, like 50% male digital nomads and then 50% English teacher females. That's a nice crossover to have between those two communities. <laughs> yeah. I feel very sympathetically towards the, the Ukrainian women who have to suffer through the stereotypes of like mail order brides or matchmaking agencies. Um, like that is a very sad and unfortunate part of Ukraine's past that so many women were in these difficult situations that they, they would arrange marriages to get out of Ukraine when it was really struggling post the collapse of the Soviet Union. But now like Ukrainian women are so amazingly inspiring. They're so independent. They're so motivated. They're starting their own businesses. Um, all while being like, perfectly put together (laughs) it's amazing how fashionable they are as well so i think for me it's it's important that ukrainian women get recognized as more than just this like alluring stereotype that that's been created but that they are recognized internationally for being smart and ambitious and motivated as well so one thing i noticed about that stereotype is on tinder there are i say just a stereotype there are like two types of of women, ones that are genuinely looking for a relationship or a friendship or companionship. And then the other side would just straight up tell you, I am looking for a sponsor or for, for money. Really? And the nice thing about it is they are pretty upfront with you by like the third message. It's still annoying that they're on Tinder. I'm like, if you want to do this, go on some, you know, I don't know, advertise yourself somewhere else. But it is at least good that you only waste two or three messages before they tell you like, this is what I'm looking for. And the kind of the, Almost the the easiest way I've figured out how to like determine somebody's intentions was just to ask what they do for work. And by asking that, I'm actually surprised how many like women here that have like such nice jobs and how like educated people are and how smart they are. And it, like you would, it's, it doesn't fit the the general stereotype that people would, would imagine. Yeah, I've heard some interesting stories from uh, my male friends about Tinder here. For sure. But Ukrainian people are very direct. And so it's nice that they tell you up front what their intentions are. I think that there's just, Ukraine is such a young country. It's only like 25 years old. And there's so much about it that the rest of the world doesn't know. And I didn't know much before I came here, to be honest. I just was kind of like, oh, we've got this opportunity. Sure. Let's, let's go live in Europe. And I've definitely developed a deep attachment to it because it has such a complicated past and it's such a dynamic place to be right now. It's creating its own history right now. And it's very cool to, to witness and to be part of. Well, one of the craziest things was I went to a museum. It's the one under the big statue of like home, homeland statues. It's a beautiful place. And I went in and what's crazy is most museums or all museums I've ever been to, the things that they show are things that happened hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. But here, it was like a exhibition that is current day. They're like, no, 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 this stuff is from last month. <laughs> we just had it shipped over from in from Crimea, where there's the war with Russia. And I was like, oh my god, this is happening right now. The things like the Maidan Revolution, which is a big the big uprising that happened like two blocks away from here, like the city center, that happened just a few years ago, and. It's exactly what you, we had mentioned where this, this country is like ongoing change today. Like by the time you guys even listen to this three days from now, there might be a, like things might change. It's true. I am planning my next trip in August and I'm looking to go east this time instead of west. And I'm going to return to Kharkiv, which is one of my favorite cities. And I'm going to go to Dnipro, which is central. Basically, and I'm, I was considering going to, and I'm going to say the name wrong, but Mariupol, which is very close to the front lines, very, very close to the front line of the conflict. And I was talking to some of my students today and basically asking them if they thought it was safe 
and they they were women in their 40s and generally i've noticed ukrainian women here don't travel alone anyway but they kind of were like i wouldn't do it i wouldn't go it's not a very pretty city anyway but i think i still might go because i've seen so many pretty ukrainian cities i've traveled throughout the west i've seen the the picturesque heritage they have and the the like idyllic uh, rural life and things like that and i want to experience and i want to know a really well-rounded picture of Ukraine. And part of that picture right now is the conflict in the East. Mm. Well, I'll let you go report on that. Yeah. I'm safe far away. <laughs> if I come back. <laughs> yeah, if you come back. We'll, we'll, we'll add it to the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Did Amy survive her trip to the industrial city of Marupil? Well, so one thing that I noticed about Kiev, because it's the big capital city, is how many people move here you know, from, from smaller villages or from the small towns for opportunity, for jobs. You know, and I think it's the same as like in China where everybody flocks from the rural villages into the big, you know, the three big cities. And it's kind of, I guess, you know, it's a little bit sad to me where like this is the only place they can have a job, you know, where there, there's no opportunity to work, you know, in a small town or a small city and it forces people to come to Kiev and live here to save up money and then maybe, you know, go home on, you know, every other weekend to visit or something like that. But I guess it's also, it's also a good thing that a lot of people are working online now. Like we're in a co-working space right now that like is just as nice as the co-working spaces back in the US. You know, it, it looks like a WeWork. Unfortunately, it's not actually much cheaper than WeWork, which is crazy, but the IT scene here is booming where people on average in Kiev make $300 a month, but in IT, they make more than double that, which is pretty insane when you, when you just think about, you know, like every single person on average who works in IT makes twice as much as even some of the doctors and lawyers here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, IT is doing really well here in Ukraine. Uh, even my brother who works for the New York Times back in New York, he has Ukrainian distance Ukrainians on his team. He like talks to and they outsource work to Ukraine. So, uh, it's, it's a great time for IT in, in Ukraine. And what I hope is that more of the smaller cities understand this and build their centers there as well, because like Ukraine has a very agricultural and industrial heritage. And as those jobs eventually disappear with automation, they've got to figure out some other way to be making money. But it is also like, there's a huge like mover maker culture here. There's a lot of um, homemade things and handmade things and people are starting fashion lines and backpack businesses and all sorts of like small businesses at least coming around in uh, in Kiev. Yeah, that's nice. And I noticed that there's more co-working spaces kind of throughout Ukraine, not just in Kiev. And they have something called an anti-cafe. Have you ever been to these? Yeah, there's a really cute one just down the street actually called Clockface. Okay. Yeah. So can you explain what that concept is? Uh, yeah, an anti-cafe is where you pay for time and not um, refreshment. And so you pay for an hour or two hours or three hours. And then included in that is usually free coffee, sometimes little cookies or bread with jam. And there are different kinds of anti-cafes. Some of them are more co-working spaces and um, some of them are more loungy spaces where you can hang out with your friends. It's a really cool idea for People who maybe like don't want to go to the bars and drink, or if you have a big group and you want to play a board game, it's a really and nice. They idea. all have board, like board games and good board games too. Yeah, Munchkin and Settlers of Catan. And I was surprised to see how many Ukrainian versions of Munchkin there are here. It's a blessing. I love that game. Yeah, me, me as well, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, I know we talked a lot about like the negative parts of of Ukraine, the language barrier and how it can be a little bit in disrepair, but it is such a cool place to live as well. So my favorite thing about living here, because to be honest, I can get pretty much all of the benefits of living here, living in like Warsaw, Poland, for example, where people are also nice. It's also cheap. The infrastructure is also good. The food's also good. Like pretty much all the benefits, I would say, of Ukraine. But everything there just works really well. Like the infrastructure there is really good. People's English levels are much higher. So why am I here? I I think like when people ask me this, it's kind of a weird question because I think it's because it's so unknown, unexplored that every single day and everything I do is an adventure. Yeah, it's so true. And especially like once you get out of Kiev to other places, you're really going 
off the beaten track in Europe, which is, I think that's what's amazing to me is that there's still like undiscovered Europe, which is overrun with tourists and like travel bloggers, you know, 20 year old travel bloggers coming to Paris and things like that to have a place in Europe that feels unknown is really, really unique and special. And I like that there's actually this like block as in, you know, like the language barrier and things like that to kind of prevent people from just easily coming here. Mm-hmm. That if you come here, you really have to want to and you really have to be willing to, to struggle a little bit because it keeps out the package tourists and it keeps mm-hmm. out like the two day like drunken tourist as well. Yeah. No stag uh, parties. Yeah. The stag parties, <laughs> no stag parties. Which is actually like, it's crazy that it makes that big of a difference. But in like Krakow, Poland, for example, there are signs on some bars that say like no stag, stag parties, no English people allowed. And it's because of cheap air flights, like from, from London to Krakow on Ryanair, where they could fly for like $15 and then drink cheap. They just come in the week up for the weekend and just get smashed and just like act a fool, you know, things that they probably wouldn't do back, back in their home country. Mm-hmm. And it kind of leaves a bad taste in the locals mouths when they, when you are a tourist. And I'm glad that's not really happened here. Yeah. Tourism is, is a double edged sword. As someone who travels and loves to travel, I understand the negative impacts it can have as well on a local community. And while I, I love Ukraine, I promote it to everyone that I talk to and I'm so excited for people to come visit. Like, don't you all come at once, you know, like spread yourselves out, come slowly, wait till I'm gone, you know, and let me feel like it's not a tourist hotspot because that's also what I love about it. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I think that's how a lot of people feel. And even part of me where I'm tempted not to, not to encourage people to come too much because I like the fact that there aren't that many tourists here. And I know just even by the fact that we're talking about on this podcast, it's going to get people to start planning the trips for next summer, which means next summer I might have to find another unexplored place. But it's part of us that we just like sharing cool stuff. Yeah. And, and it is so cool. And like I said, I feel like Ukraine is so misunderstood and I want I don't know. I want people to see how much it's changing and see how excited its citizens are to like be part of Europe and be part of the world stage. I think that people think of Ukraine and a lot of other like post-Soviet countries as very closed, but I don't feel like that's the way the people are here. The people are very open, very friendly. And like I was on a overnight bus in Western Ukraine and I was trying to I, I actually like was sick, so I had to get off the bus. And I was trying to see if the bus was stopping at the next city in like 10 minutes. And so I tapped a woman on the shoulder and I was like, oh, do you know if this bus stops in Kust? And she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, where are you from? And at this point, I'm like nauseous and sweating and I really don't want to have this conversation. It's 11 o'clock on a night bus. And she's like, where are you from? What are you doing here? Do you like, do you like Ukraine? Oh, it's so exciting you're here. So the people are so open and friendly. It's just a great place to travel and live. I like that as well. But something that you mentioned earlier, one of my favorite things about the people here is how direct and upfront they are. If they don't like you, they'll tell you that they don't like you. Yeah. You know, and they'll tell you their intentions like straight up. And I think that is something that is refreshing because in the US at least, or I'm sure in a lot of Western countries, we feel like we have to be polite to everyone, whether we really want to or not. We feel like we don't want to offend anyone. We feel like we don't want to let anyone down. And actually like the, even like the, the most simple thing, like here, like if you go on a date with somebody, it's like very black and white. They're like, okay. And you know, whether this is good or not, it's very black and white. Like you are the man you're paying. That's it. Like there's no question about that. But you know, but then you don't have to like guess if, if she doesn't like you, she'll let you know. Like, okay, don't call me again. (laughs) While, like, in the US, they might, like, you know, just have you kind of just, like, drag you along for, like, two or three months through text message, even though they have no interest in you at all. You know, they're like, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll just, like, be nice to this guy because I want to let him down. I want to hurt his feelings. You know, maybe I'll, like, go to dinner with him and then go out and have drinks once in a while, even though I have no intention of ever being with him. And I think here, because it's so black and white, they're like, you know... If they don't like you, they won't even let you buy buy them a drink, which is something I, I almost feel like stopped happening in like 1942 in the US. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain directness that's not it's not mean, and it, that also takes a little bit of adjusting too. As a teacher, 
I'll experience in the, in the classroom sometimes. They'll be like, what's the point of this activity? Why are we doing this? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, like for English. <laughs> and like, there's always a reason and I can explain it, but I've had to get used to being challenged sometimes in the classroom. But I think it's also made me a little bit more feisty and a little bit more able to stand up for myself as well, which I appreciate. Like that's a part of my character that I think was underdeveloped and polite, gentle, which is funny to use those words with the U.S., but I do think compared to Ukraine, there's a lot more ambiguity. And it also means that when people like you, it's genuine as well. So when students thank me for my lesson or when students like double check that I'm going to be their teacher again in the fall, they really mean it. They're not just being nice. And I appreciate that as well. Yeah. And it is kind of a, a nice feeling for everyone in the U.S. or back home, you know, when they see you, whether they know you or not or care about you or not, they're like, oh, hey, how's your day? You know, you know bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> but even if they don't mean it at all, while here, nobody will ask you how how's your day unless they genuinely want to know. And you're right. In the beginning, it feels like a little bit cold where people are not smiling at you when they first see you or they're not even saying hello. But if they do smile at you or say hello or ask you how you're doing, they really genuinely mean it. Yeah. The people here I feel are very genuine, which is, which is nice. It's very, can be very, very open and welcoming. And like once they get to know you too, like they'll, in, I've been invited to dinners and things like that and by people I've just met, which is very, very hospitable. I like it. Yeah. So guys and gals listening to this, Please don't come ruin Ukraine. <laughs> come, but you know, be nice about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, come with good intentions. You know, don't propagate all the bad stereotypes of, of tourism because it's a good country. It's good people. It's not as easy to travel to as, you know, kind of more well-marked places in the world where there's you know, tours everywhere. There's everything's in English. There's, you know, just kind of easy, easiness here. It's more of an adventure. It's kind of unfounded, but that's the, that's the excitement of it. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I like it. So if people want to follow your stuff, learn more about you, how can they reach you? You can find me on Tinder. No, <laughs> no, I deleted that. <laughs> but I'm happy for like normal, real in-person dates, <laughs> not swiping. Um, you can find me on, say, what am I on? Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at Wayfarers Book, or thewayfarersbook.com is my blog. I like it. What what actually does that the Wayfarers Book mean? I like the idea. A wayfarer is someone who wanders. And I don't have much direction in my travels, but I like this idea of wandering, of especially like I've slowed down in my travel a lot over the past couple of years and like digging deeper into a culture, especially one that's off the beaten track. Like the Ukraine. Like the Ukraine. And it, oh, by the way, guys, it's not the Ukraine. I know. We just made a big faux pas like Ukraine. <laughs> it is just Ukraine. Just Ukraine. I like it. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And thank you to everyone who's been leaving these amazing five-star reviews of the podcast. You guys are the best. And also thank you to our sponsor, TripStreak. The next time you guys want to book a flight either to Ukraine, one by one, don't all come at once, or somewhere else in the world, go to tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. I'll see you guys all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.